Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Now, please welcome, all the way from their front living room, your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 31 of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Hi. Today, before we get actually started on everything, I just want to say a few things. First of all, thank you very much to the Spun Paranormal Network who joined us last week. If you missed that episode, please do listen to it back. They got some really interesting ideas and they do some really interesting work. That is free. Can you believe that? Anything free is probably good. Yeah, exactly. And you don't usually get things for free these days, do you? Let's be honest. No. But these guys are prepared to go out and actually do an investigation for you, obviously within a geographical area, and they don't charge anything. But what if they brought one with them? Well, I don't think they do that. I think that's probably against their policy. And mm. they do have rituals that they go through beforehand, sort of processes, that make sure that they're clean and that when they leave, they're clean. So they know what they're doing. So they take a shower before they go. Take a shower before they go. And then... Old Spice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they know that when they get there, everything's cool in the gang. And then they leave and everything's still calling the gang. Right. So this week, we are going to talk about NDEs, or near-death experiences. I had one once. Did you? Mm. Oh, go on. (laughs) Do you remember when we went to see Zombieland? Oh, you've already mentioned this on a podcast before. People are going to start thinking, oh, this is a repeat. That that was my near-death experience. Laughing so much you almost died. Well, can you think of a better way to go out? Well, probably not. But it'd be pretty stupid, right? Because you'd be People there probably like... did that in the past, though, didn't they, if you think about it? Because they used to get given that laughing gas, didn't they, while yeah. they were undergoing treatment. And if they died during the treatment, then technically, I guess they would have died The problem is, if I had died then while I was laughing, like I would have got to the pearly gates and I would have thought, oh, we're still watching a movie, so this doesn't count. No, you'd have got to the pearly, <laughs> you'd have got to the pearly gates and God would have went, you're not taking this fucking seriously. <laughs> yeah. He would, wouldn't he? <laughs> Anyway, let's get on. So the thing about near-death experiences is that it's possibly something we're all going to experience, aren't we? I mean, we're all going to experience death. Some of us might experience near-death. Probably a high proportion of us will experience near-death. Especially in this day and age when they're bringing people back from the brink. Exactly. More than they ever could before. Yeah, so this is something that could affect us. So so listen, guys, because you might find something useful in here, some useful tidbits. Yeah, well, I'm sure nobody wants to have to worry about these tidbits because nobody wants to have a near-death experience or a full-death experience. Yeah. That would be bad. No, but everyone's going to get a full-death experience, so... But when it happens, just don't forget, you have to think of the Weird, Wacky, Wonderful Stories podcast. Yeah. And everything will be just Take it fine. with you. Take it with you, and then you can play it. <laughs> In heaven, you can get to the pearly gates and then God says, do you want to come in or not? And you go, whoa, hang on a minute. Let me just listen to episode 31. (laughs) And I'll let you know in a minute. Yeah. I've got a couple of examples here of ones where people have actually written books about it. So if people do want to learn a little bit more about it from the people that it actually happened to and read their books and learn more about it, then this would be quite useful for you. So there's a Veronica Barthel. Now, she had a near-death experience when she was struck by lightning. She was driving her car when she was struck by lightning in 1981. She says she was instantly transported to hell. Well, it's a good thing it was a near-death experience. She can come back and try to work her way into heaven now. Exactly. Now, when she was transported to hell, she said that she found demons escorting her into a waiting room. The creatures that she saw 
were more terrifying than anything she'd ever seen in a horror movie even. Do you know what sucks more? That even after you die, there's fucking queues and lines. <laughs> <laughs> but it's hell. Well, there yeah, probably okay. isn't queues in heaven. Because well, they got their yeah, shit sorted okay, out. I guess it, yeah. Well, anyways, you get wings there, so you, you don't really have to stand. You, you can just go like, over go, it. I have wings. This is so cool. Yeah. This <laughs> this Veronica Bath was probably quite serious when she wrote this, so you got to stop laughing at it. All right, I wasn't laughing. She says that they were like soldiers marching past her, and in the middle of them, in the middle of these demon soldiers, were people, and that they were screaming with pain. She said it was really difficult to breathe there because of the terrible smell. Okay? Sulfur, possibly farts. So she saw a lake. Your um, farts. Which, well, not my farts. My farts don't directly go to hell, you know. No, they just make people feel like they are in hell. Honestly, that's not even right. So she saw this lake, which she said looked like the inner part of a volcano. So I would say probably lava, a lake lava. Magma Lava of lake, even. Mm-hmm. And she said that people were shouting and swearing and that because they were in so much pain. She said she saw people being thrown into caves and the caves were guarded by demons. The floor was covered in snakes, apparently, and the snakes were there to terrify people and obviously to bite them and cause them pain as well. So it was a pretty nasty place, Hal. Apparently. What did she do wrong? Imagine their trip advisor reviews. <laughs> yeah. So after her experience, she found herself transported back into her car and for a moment she noticed that her hands were burning, still gripping the steering wheel. So now it makes you wonder, was what she was thinking about, you know, this hot environment, sulfur, burning lava, Mm -hmm. was that her mind actually given her those images? Because in real life, her hands are burning, probably sticking to the wheel of the car. Which would be pretty hellish. little yawn there. Am I keeping you awake, am I? Well, you did wake me up early with a big old pack of... (laughs) Yeah. A big old stack of pancakes and bacon, so yeah. I can't complain. Check Instagram, guys. <laughs> and strawberries and bananas. Yep. And tea. I am cool. Mm-hmm. What can I say? Anyway, moving on, because you're totally ruining the vibe of this. All right, you're okay. You're talking about near-death experience. You're talking about pancakes and maple syrup. That lady's experience, by the way, Veronica Barthel, her story is available in her book, which is Near-Death Experiences, True Stories of Near-Death Experiences Told by Real People, and it's available on Amazon.com. Actually, I don't know whether that's her book, but her story's in that book. Yeah, I was going to say, technically, if you think about it, and you have this near-death experience, and by her account, she wasn't. it wasn't a very long thing, right? Yeah. So I was just trying to figure out how you'd get a book out of... There's a load of them. But there is a chap who's written his own book, and his name is Howard Storm. Now, I actually heard this guy on an interview a long time ago where he was talking about his situation now this guy he describes himself as like a double atheist he wasn't just sort of a normal atheist he was totally totally didn't believe in anything related to god whatsoever right Mm -hmm. just thought that we're here we do that stuff we finish that's it over there are Um, a lot of people that truly do believe that yeah exactly now he was a college professor howard storm and he was leading like a school trip what would you call it a field trip field trip yeah uh, but this was a three-week field trip in Europe, okay? Uh, we didn't get those kind of field trips well, when I was in school. It was a European art tour with his students. It was the last day of the trip. He goes back to his hotel room. His wife is there as well. She's she's staying with him, okay? And they're in the hotel room, and all of a sudden he drops to the floor in pain, and his wife obviously calls for help. 
next thing he knows he's in hospital. He's being checked over by the medical staff and turns out he's got a perforated stomach. A perforated stomach? Perforated stomach. Okay. He obviously required surgery and this is life-threatening. He's going to die if he doesn't get surgery within a couple of hours. Now, it doesn't say this on this thing that I printed out here, but on the interview where I heard him talking about it, he actually said that he was waiting days for someone to come because it was a weekend, someone to come and be able to sort him out. And eventually he was waiting that long that he thought he couldn't hold on anymore. He actually said his goodbyes to his wife. He knew that at this point he was dying. Can you believe, was this in the UK? No, this is in France. Oh, right. He told his wife, obviously, that as far as he was concerned, he was moments from death, etc. said his goodbyes. Next thing he knows, he's standing next to his own body in the hospital bed, and he said he felt more alive than ever. Now, I can remember him describing the fact that he was confused. He could see his body there, but at the same time, he knew that he felt alive and fine, so he just thought he was hallucinating. But what made it even more bizarre was that these people came to his room at that particular point and said, we're ready for you now. So he thought he was going down to surgery. So he's calling after his wife saying, they're taking me, I'm going, I'm going. But she's not answering. And he just thinks, you know, what the hell, what's going on? Bearing in mind, doesn't believe in life after death. So this is totally outside of his realm of belief. Mm -hmm. So he truly still believes he's alive. He goes down the corridor with these people. Next thing you know, they turn to him and they start fighting with him and start attacking him. And he said, in his words, they were actually annihilating him, which they did slowly and with much relish. They were biting him, tearing at him, scratching him. They did other things which he doesn't describe and isn't prepared to describe that he said were humiliating and violated him. So I think we've got a pretty good idea what they were doing to him. Was this supposed to be the things that came to take him... After At this point, he's still confused. He doesn't know why these doctors are beating the shit out of him, why they're doing what they're doing to him. But he's in absolute agony, and eventually he collapses to the floor and began reciting the Lord's Prayer. So I think that at this point, he either feels that he's going to die or he realises that these people are not doctors and maybe he's already dead. Well, yeah, because I was just going to say, like, if you're an atheist or you don't believe in God or whatever, then technically... You can't go to heaven, can you? Well, that's, so if that's he the... didn't believe, maybe that's why these things came. Yeah, I mean that's and that's so they what were, they, the they inferences. Were... Yeah, yeah, definitely. So anyway, he collapses to the floor. He's reciting the Lord's prayer, and this is after hearing, by the way, this voice in his head saying, "Just pray to God, pray to God. This is the only way you're going to get out of this. Pray to God." So that's what he does. After saying a few other prayers. He said that Jesus personally came and saved him from the demons and sent him back to earth. So he'd actually, this corridor that he was going down was actually his, him en route, I suppose, to hell. But Jesus came and took him back. It's worth reading his book. As I said, I heard an interview with him and very, very interesting story. And his book is called My Descent Into Death. And it was actually published in 2000. So it's it's about almost 20 years old. Well, I have a story that, Ties into that in a weird sort of way about a little boy. I think he was like 10 or something. I don't know exactly how old he was, but he drowned and they managed to bring him back, but he had been technically dead for 40 minutes. Wow. Comes back after this 40 minutes. He starts to tell his mother the story about this war that's going to happen between demons, humans, and aliens, Angels. and God, and this whole big 
thing. And he said aliens were actually demons. What what we perceive as aliens. What we see as aliens are actually disguised and they're actually demons. So when people get abducted, they're actually being taken maybe somewhere by a demon. Well, I don't know. He doesn't say that, but it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's funny because I've heard... I don't think I've included any, but I have heard about aliens kind of being involved sometimes in the death experience. Yeah, so these demons tell him initially that, oh, no, we're not demons, we're aliens, and they're going to take him somewhere. So as he's kind of going along with his story, he says that he saw some rock and roll type dude. That's what he describes the person as a rock and roll dude who is in a robe with a golden waistband to the robe and he has a long beard and hair and tells the boy that it, that he's Jesus. So that's kind of weird because of the, you know, years where he's saying that Jesus... Jesus came and saved him. Yeah, so anyway, they're going by this water that Jesus is going to take him someplace and a big hole opens up and these creatures are coming up out of it. One of these kind of grabs a boy and Jesus tells him to fight it and to bite it and that if he does that, you know, he'll be safe. And so he does. Although I don't know why Jesus would, why would you need to, I mean, why didn't Jesus go, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh, fuck off i'm gonna close the hole i can't say jesus saying fuck off well you know what i mean but anyway the boy i suppose for whatever reason had to be an active participant maybe in this journey so jesus takes his hand and they now they're flying and he can see everything i'm floating in the (laughs) air and they went really high go into outer space jesus allows you know takes him, he can see all the stars and planets and all that sort of stuff. And eventually they come to this place and it's it's just a wonderful, awesome place. And the kid says it's filled with, like, everything is super colorful and super bright. Well, that'd be like high definition or something. Yeah, more vivid. The, yeah, more vivid. There you go, more vivid. And the city that they go to is made of crystal and all the streets are gold. Sounds like a lot a like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. <laughs> Weird, isn't it? So, but hang on a minute. Sorry, I don't want to get off track. I, I want you to better go back to it. But that yellow brick road analogy. I know we just made a joke about it then, but he says the roads were paved with gold and and all the rest of it. Are people seeing what their kind of belief is? So it's like. Well, we can talk about that later. Right. Because, okay. Go on. Then, carry on. All right. So anyway, he gets to the place. It's all bright crystal, gold, and he said that everybody that was there acted like they were family, even people that he didn't know. They all act like one big family. They're all very friendly. Hugging each other. You know, well, I don't know if he... He said that the one thing that he noticed was there were lots and lots of babies, right? And he said, I don't know why there were so many babies, but there were lots and lots of babies there. And there were what he called workers who took care of all of these babies, and that was why they were there to take care of these little little children. So I thought that was kind of interesting. That sucks. You've got to go to heaven and then work. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. But what if, to you, heaven is being able to take care of lots of babies that were sick? Yeah, yeah, okay. Y- you know, so, I mean, I'm sure 
I hope they weren't sick babies in heaven. Maybe they were just babysitting the babies in heaven. Yeah, right. yeah. I'll hold you and let you stay with me a minute while your mom and dad go decide whether they're going to get the up ticket or the down ticket. Yeah. Whether they're going to make another one of you. <laughs> yeah, right. He also said that everybody in heaven can transform what they look like. They can do a lot of the same things that Jesus could do, although there isn't much elaboration on that. But I don't know. I guess that's it's interesting, isn't it? Isn't it? Everyone parting the waves. You know? Um. He said that while he was up there, he could see into the future what was going to happen to people here. And uh, one of the things that he said was that his brother was going to go into the army, and he thinks that's a bad idea. says his brother should not go in the army. Mm-hmm. So finally, his brother would, he said, understand that what he was doing was wrong. So I don't know if that means that he does go or he doesn't. And he tells his mother that before anything happens to his brother going into the army, anything that happens to do with him going into the military, she would already be gone. She'd already be dead. Right. She'd already be, excuse me, in heaven. He says, you know, there's this evil that's coming and the war was going to happen and it was going to be an army of Satan and alien demons would invade Earth and people need to know about it. So that was, you know, this boy told his mother, who apparently wrote everything down. I don't think there was a book of it. There may have been a video or something, but so that's why he was telling her the story. Now, three years later, the boy ended up dying, but he died from complications due to the drowning, something about his heart or whatever, but he lived for three years after telling his mother about this. I suppose as a parent, that must give you a little comfort if this kid had come back and was saying how nice this place was and how nice everyone was. I suppose that would give you a little bit of comfort, wouldn't it? But I wonder whether people see things that are based around their own belief structure. You don't hear people who are Christians having a near-death experience, and then coming back and saying, I met Buddha. Well, it is interesting that most near-death experiences happen in the Western world. Really? Yep, and that of the ones that do not, the ones that happen in other places, happen with whatever that person's beliefs are. That's what I mean. So, So this little boy, was he seeing gold paved roads like the Wizard of Oz with the yellow brick road? Was he seeing that because he imagined that's what he imagined this place to be? And I'm not saying that place doesn't exist because maybe it does exist, but maybe you get your own personal heaven or your own personal hell. See, I've often thought that my personal hell would be in a place full of spiders, yeah, because I'm obviously petrified of spiders. So that would be my kind of hell, you know? Mm, Yeah. And so... If I was to have a near-death experience and I got an experience that took me down, is that what I'm going to envisage? Yeah, I would have to be tortured by a hoarder. That would be my hell. (laughs) (laughs) I should actually say, shouldn't I? My worst fear is... And then just pick something awesome. Chocolate. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. I can't eat it. I can't... Oh, okay. (laughs) My worst fear is jelly donuts. (laughs) So... During a kayaking trip in 1999, there was a doctor, her name was Mary Neal. Now, she uh, was in this kayak, kayak capsized, and actually pinned her, because it got wedged between rocks and everything, as far as I can gather, but actually pinned her under the water. Now, she was under the water and trapped, and obviously not breathing then, for 15 to 25 minutes. Okay. 
during the experience, she had a near-death experience. During that experience, God apparently told her that her family would be facing an upcoming tragedy, which had to do with her son, who was nine at the time. She wasn't told when or where this would happen, but that there was going to be a tragedy that would befall the family based around her son. So God apparently said to her, you need to go back and support your family through this because it's going to be a, a traumatic time. So she was resuscitated. She, they, When they got her out of the water, they managed to revive her after being in there for sort of 25 minutes, up to 25 minutes. She was revived. Now, she did have other issues afterwards, so she had uh, complications. She had broken legs. She had lung complications. She spent a month in hospital and then the following six weeks in a wheelchair. So she was in a pretty bad way. Yeah. But 10 years after that, at age 19, her son, Willie, was killed in a car accident in Maine by a driver who was on his cell phone. Mm. So she's actually written a book, and it's called To Heaven and Back, and that was published in May 2012. Well, that's probably worth a read as well. Yeah. Be interesting because maybe she talks about more than just, you know, maybe she talks about those years in between what it felt like to almost be waiting for this. I mean, that has to suck if you think about it. Why couldn't God or whoever just say to her, not ready for you yet. You've still got things you need to do. Yeah, or even your family need you. You know, but to say, no, you you have to stay because something's going to happen to your kid and you have to be there to help. Waiting for it. You're yeah. sat there waiting for it, aren't you, for 10 years. So, I mean, is that heaven? But <laughs> or at is the same hell? time, look at it like this. People that say that it's just your body giving off chemicals and, you know, rush of these chemicals through your body, which has given you this sort of euphoric sense, which takes you through it, which I think is part of it. People do say that one of the things that happens, if people have like a serious car accident or something like that, they can remember the swerving and all that sort of stuff, but they don't remember the pain of the impact and everything else because it's something to do with short-term and long-term memory, and, and I forget exactly how it works, but basically a memory has to be in your short-term memory and stay in there for a, a period of time, and then it gets transferred to your long-term memory. Yeah. Now, if you uh, suddenly have something that happens, bang, pain, it's in your short-term memory, you're unconscious before it can then go into your long-term memory, and therefore when you wake up, you don't remember that part of it, and that's part of the thing. But people do kind of remember things slowing down people are given this kind of mechanism to get through the situation at that particular time and a lot of it's to do with the chemicals so people say that well when you die then maybe it's these chemicals that are rushing to the brain and, and neurons that are firing while the brain is trying to survive through lack of oxygen hypoxia yeah that you're suddenly getting these images but you wouldn't get premonitions would you theoretically of things that are yeah. going to happen well but it could be that maybe she somewhere in her mind i got to be there for my son. I have to go back for my son. Yeah. And, I mean, why it would say that something bad was going to happen, I don't exactly know. But yeah. maybe that was something that was there for her. If I'm gone, you know, I mean, who knows? It all gets mixed up in your brain, doesn't it? Yeah. I have a story about someone who calls himself Richard. That's it. No other information. Okay. Who had what I would assume to be a heart attack. It's a mystery on this. He doesn't even say why his heart stopped. Okay. Right, okay. He said that he saw his whole life like a movie and that he was able to speak to relatives that were dead. They were there. And he said that ever since he's come back now, he can still hear dead people. 
that he never used to have that problem, never used to have the issue. Ever since he came back, he now has this ability. So he's still sort of tuned into the afterlife. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? So this is what he says about the whole experience. I started watching my whole life in front of me. All good and bad events were emphasized. After the presentation ended, I was asked one question. On which side are you? I had to choose between the good or the bad side. And his answer was, I love God with all of me. Then I sent these feelings of love to our creator. So that that's who he says was who asked him the question, was the creator. He doesn't call him God, he just says creator. And that... You didn't actually even have to say it, I don't think. I think it was one of the telepathic sort of things. And in response, he then felt love from this creator, which telepathically, I suppose, he could feel that the message of his being good came back, you know, and he was able to know that it was received and understood. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because what was it? It never describes the creator. It's interesting, isn't it? Mm. never says it was God. It was just, maybe it was an alien. I mean, we don't, it's actually very common people thinking that God could be aliens. He says that now he's glad he had this experience because he knows that the creator, again, because of that, is real. So now he lives his life in a completely different way than he would have. Which is quite common, isn't it? Yes. He saw himself being born. Uh, Saw the doctor pull him out from his mother. That's something I wouldn't want to see. And that he was holding, he could see that he as a baby was holding the cord, the umbilical cord, before it was cut. So, as I said, he says now that he can still hear dead people. He can still hear dead people. But he said the whole experience comes at a really big price because not only can he hear good people, good spirits, whatever, but also bad ones, which is interesting. Because if you went somewhere good, why would you then... No, but if he's like tuned into the afterlife or tuned into being able to hear now spirits, then he's going to get all kinds, isn't he, before they transition, I would have thought. I don't know. So there's a doctor named Dr. Sam Pernia, who is, or was at the time, the Director of Critical Care and Resuscitation Research at New York University. And he said that it's very common for people who have a near-death experience to, you know, say that they've seen dead relatives and all that sort of thing. Well, that's Um, interesting then, if you've got a doctor coming out and saying it. We were talking before, weren't we, about Dr. Penny Satori, if mm, you remember when we did our other stuff. And she was a intensive care nurse and she witnessed many times when people were close to death, them seeing loved ones appear to sort of take them away, take them into the light, et cetera, et cetera. And there's another professional, medical professional, there you know i mean those are the people that touch life and death more than anybody aren't they medical professionals so they're gonna be the ones to see this on a more regular basis well in the medical profession as you're saying there are a lot of doctors nurses even ambulance what are they personnel personnel paramedics they often hear people talking about them when they oh, I saw such and such, or talking about a light, you know, all that. So one of the things that they're saying now, if you want to study near-death experiences seriously, there has to be a way, an actual procedure that you can go through so that you can ask 
So you have to be able to control the room, the situation where the person is, Mm -hmm. what happens to them, what are going to be the variables, the tests, so that you can tell whether this person actually did have something happen or not. And then what happened and how is that similar? How is that different? I mean, you know, the whole ticking through. There is a handbook and it was written by Janice Holden. And she says that in a place where near-death experiences are likely to occur, plant some perceptual stimulus and then interview everyone who survives a near-death episode in the vicinity of that stimulus to determine whether they perceived it. Place the stimulus so that it is only perceivable by a near-death experiencer but not by other people in the area. In fact, to rule out the possibility that an interviewer or others might intentionally or unintentionally convey the content of the stimulus to the near-death experiencer through normal or even paranormal means, arrange it so that the stimulus is not known even to the research team or associates. So they're on about doing a blind study then? Yeah, apparently. To date... Six studies have tried some form of this method, mostly on cardiac arrest patients, and all have failed to find an ironclad case to prove near-death experiences. All of them involved placing some stimulus, a picture or a symbol on, say, a piece of paper or an electronic display in a high location visible only if you were floating near the ceiling. The research designers did their best to make sure that nobody, not the doctors or nurses, not the patient, and not whoever interviewed the patient afterward, would know what the stimulus was until after the interviews were over. There were 15 hospitals who participated in this study. Some were in the United States, some were in the UK, and some were in Austria. And what they did was they installed shelves of some sort with different images in rooms where cardiac arrest patients were likely to be. So I would assume on a cardiac care unit or whatever. Over four years, they attended and recorded a total of 2,060 cardiac arrests. There were actually more of them, but some people obviously, they weren't able to record them, whatever. But anyway, they actually recorded and were able to study 2,060 of them. Of that... 330 patients survived, so they saw nothing. 140 of them were judged well enough to record. So I guess what it is is you've got this 330, and 140 of those participated in the interview. Of those 140, 101 made it past a screening interview. The others were unable to continue, predominantly due to fatigue. So I guess they must be interviewing them. Pretty much right right after. Of the 101 that were remaining, nine remembered experiences that counted as a near-death experience. Two remembered an out-of-body experience. And of those two, one became too ill to interview further. So they got only information from one of those two that had an out-of-body experience. So it left just one person who actually could recount everything that he saw. So that's actually pretty disheartening when you think... No, 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 it's not. So that one was able to verify that something was up high on the shelf? Is that what I'm getting from that? Well, I'll I'll tell you. Okay, go on in. 
But my point is you've got 100. So you started out with 2,060. Of those, all you get are 140 people. And of those 140, you end up with one that... Yeah, okay, but you just said there was only 300 and something that survived. Yeah. Okay, so out of 300 and something, not out of 2,000 odd, well, yeah, because okay. the 2,000 yeah. had a full deaf experience. So of the 300, you've got 140 odd who were well enough to undergo some, some type of interview and then only 101 or whatever it was that were actually managed to finish those interviews was it where did the nine come in because it went down to nine at one point nine remembered experiences that counted as a near-death experience okay. so nine people so all you've got to say is that now it's one in nine because there was only nine people really that that can remember any experiences Right, so maybe okay. the others didn't fully die or whatever. Yeah. So you've got to look at one in nine, really. Yeah. Anyway, so this patient was a 57-year-old man, mm-hmm. and he said that he floated up into a corner of the room. He could see the medical staff working on him, trying to bring him back. He was watching as they defibrillated him. They were able to go back and actually also interview the staff who tried to you know his team that were sustaining him and they were able to corroborate a lot of what he said they were able after the man was revived and they spoke to the medical personnel they were able to determine that there were three minutes in which they know that his he was clinically dead yes well not after his heart stopped it was a three minute period so they did this study in, like I said, 15 hospitals, different hospitals, and they collectively installed about a thousand of these shelves with special images in different places in the rooms. And uh, only 22% of the arrests that they had to deal with at these hospitals happened somewhere where one of these shelves was nearby so that's probably why there were maybe not as many Mm -hmm. sort of participants but this gentleman the one case that they could say with certainty he was for three minutes gone he wasn't anywhere near a shelf so they couldn't really go any further with the interview well i have heard of a case where there was someone who had a cardiac arrest and who did see something on top of a filing cabinet, which was unusual. I believe it was something like a glove with a ball in in the palm of the glove or something like that it was that Mm -hmm. was on top of this filing cabinet, which the staff didn't know or anything, but he came back and he did actually say to the physician, what's that doing on the top of there? And he was wheeled in and out of that room on a gurney laying down, so there's no way he could have seen seen it. it. So I know that there is at least one case that was documented where that kind of thing happened. It may not have been a glove with a ball, but it was something obscure like that that was you wouldn't expect on the filing cabinet or on on top of a cabinet, not a filing cabinet, but a cabinet inside an ER. That may be enough for that man and that doctor to go, okay, I believe. Yeah. But it isn't enough for other places because there's no controls. Exactly, and it's got to be repeatable, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Yeah, I get it. So anyway, the prevailing sort of opinion is that as technologically advanced as we as a whole are, there just aren't enough examples to corroborate it at this point. So 
this is an awesome name. There was a lad by the name of Colton Burpo, B-U-R-P-O. <laughs> yeah. Now, he, I read a name, something, something, Pecker. I would have to if my last name was Pecker. I just couldn't. I'd have to get married really quickly <laughs> so I could get rid of it or something. Can you imagine? Good thing his name is Richard Pecker. Dick Pecker. <laughs> anyway, sorry, it. sorry. Uh, uh, tangent. Go on. Yeah, okay. Anyway, Colton Burpo. He wasn't quite four years old, so th- three and something, yeah, when his appendix burst. Now, he ended up having an experience, and when he came round, told of how he had been to heaven, how he'd met Jesus, John the Baptist, God, and even family members who'd passed away previously including a baby sister that his mother had lost due to a miscarriage. Now, he'd never been told of this miscarriage. Already now it's starting to... Well, presumably, three and a half, four years old, you don't really have that much of a concept of death, let alone God. Exactly, exactly. So he met an old man who he was told to call Pop, and he identified him in a photograph, and it turned out to be his paternal grandfather. Now, Colton also told his father that he'd seen him in another room praying while all of this was going on. Now, his father, whose name was Todd, said, we knew he wasn't making it up because he was able to tell us what we were doing in another part of the hospital. Not even Sonia, who I believe is his wife, had seen me in that little room having my meltdown with God. Yet... Colton was able to tell them about it. So it's weird, though, how a lot of these stories, it's almost like they are in two places at the same time, isn't it? If you think about it. This is my last little tidbit. So after this, you're going to have to carry us along. Okay. Do you remember not that long ago, we were watching on TV about how stories happen and that all stories have, you know, a certain sort of progression. Okay. It's called The Hero's Journey, or some called a quest narrative. But it was an American writer named Joseph Campbell who identified the pattern, and he called it a monomyth. This happened in 1949, and it happens in almost every story. Bible, mythology, just you know, it covers a bit, there's just, it's everywhere. Yeah, I think I've read about this and you can even look at like Star Wars does exactly the same sort of thing, doesn't it? Yeah, that was what we were watching, wasn't it? They used Star Wars as an example. So they are saying that the reason why a lot of near-death experiences are so similar is because of this pattern or the way that, a format, the format of how a story happens. So... It's a protagonist that's shaken out of his normal way of life because of some monumental disturbance. So obviously, Dying. You, you know, you're, yeah, you know, and obviously they're not, they're not happy to have, be in this situation. And because a mentor of some sort or a wise figure, somebody that they, I would, you would think would look up to says to them, hang on. You need to go through this whole sort of, this is what's going to happen to you. Anyway, the person will have to go on a quest that maybe they don't want to go on, but they do, and it's somewhere they've never been. It's going to be very difficult. There's going to be enemies, battles, questions, friends, allies. You know, your whole outlook on life will change. Then they will have 
the big duel or the, the main confrontation. And then basically they return and they're victorious and now transformed in some monumental way. Was it like um, what they, they used to call it? Vision quests the Indians or whatever, and then they would come back after they had had their big experience and now they're men or, you mm. know, they're determined to have grown up. Lots of these near-death experiences follow the same pattern. So are you suggesting then that the near-death experiences are made up? Well, maybe, maybe they're not made up, but you have a heart attack, right? You're in the hospital, you almost die, but you don't. And in that little sort of window of time where you're getting ready to wake up or whatever, you know, you start to hear things. You know, I don't know if that's ever happened to you when you even just waking up, you start hearing little bits and then you become gradually more aware. Okay. I hear a lawnmower now and, you know, and then you start to realize, okay, I'm awake now. You know, you go through a little thing when you're waking up at normally mm-hmm. from sleep. So you, you know, you're waking up, you might hear funny things. You might, have drugs coursing through you because you know they needed to give you things to help you when they were trying to treat you and so you're going through that and then you wake up and you realize holy shit I almost died you know and then just you know maybe those things that you heard you piece it together into some sort of story or maybe it's all just weird there is a phenomenon when they're doing an operation where they say that people can hear things and they can see things that they shouldn't have been able to hear or see. I mean, it's weird. Yeah, they have their Did eyes they... taped shut, and yet they're seeing things. So that's not, I don't think, a story. I mean, if it can be corroborated outside of No, 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 but the, the point is, the reason why near-death experiences are all so similar is because of this thing that Joseph Campbell identified. Maybe that's why we find them compelling, because they follow that format. Yeah. But, but yeah, I kind of get what you're saying. But I think that more that I think that's why we're maybe drawn to them. Because, like you said, it's, it's almost this adventure that we're going on. But in the end, everything's all okay. Because they're back and they've well, maybe yeah, learned exactly. something. And, and, you know, it's a fairy tale, isn't it? But I don't want to take anything away from the experience and say that it's made up. I find comfort in thinking that there's something later on and after death. I know you're not saying that they're made up. I'm just saying that... No, but it is an interesting thing to think about, is that... Well, I guess maybe it isn't, is it? I I guess if that is the way that most stories are told, well then, of course, your near-death experience is a story, and it is going to follow a certain pattern, because that's Especially what stories do. Especially as you recount do. it. And you, right, and you recount it, and then, of course, you're all happy, and, and you are the protagonist or the hero or whatever, because now you're back, and you've got this whole profoundly different outlook on everything that no one around you has had yeah and so maybe they think you're crazy because you know what's wrong with this person they're so they want to go around everywhere and tell all their stories and but i thought that it was interesting to read it and there are by the way on a little side note loads and loads of people who don't really like joseph campbell anymore after he discovered this because it takes away from what's going to happen when you sit and you watch a movie you know oh well, this is going to happen, this then that's going to happen. Yeah, but it's like a lot of things, isn't it? You know, how many times do we sit down and watch a movie and go, oh, he's going to end up fucking her later on? Yeah. Okay, so I've got some stories that I found on Reddit, which we'll go through quickly just before we finish. Go along to Reddit. There's loads of threads on NDEs if you want to have a look at them. 
I've got one here that says, my aunt had an experience like this when she was 18. She always suffered of chronic seizures that made her pass out. One day she had one while no one was around. She later was found by my grandmother. The doctors luckily arrived in time to resuscitate her. She explained that she was in the brightest, most peaceful hallway. She wandered through it until she found a massive door closed on one end. She told my grandmother that she tried as hard as she could to open the door, tapping, slamming, even kicking it, and it wouldn't open the door or allow it to break free. She looked back to see the corridor gone, replaced with an emergency room. She was lying on a stretcher while multiple nurses, doctors were frantically working to revive us. It's like what you said, where you almost seem to be in multiple places. Mm. She gave up on the door, turned around and left for the surgery room. She inevitably reached the room and re-entered her body. She passed away at the age of 42, so she was 18 when she had this experience. Right. But she actually ended up passing away when she was 42, uh, which was about nine months ago when this was written, by heart failure after multiple seizures. She left behind two young daughters and a husband. We like to think that the doors opened for her. No. That's pretty sad but cool, isn't it, in a way? It's a nice sentiment at the end. Another one here, this is from Tyler Black 729 says, Growing up, my father used to tell me of an experience he had while having open heart surgery. The doctors had to stop his heart for about 20 to 30 minutes while they inserted a mechanical valve into his heart. At the time, he was in his early 20s and was involved in a lot of bad activity that he says he's ashamed of now. Anyway, while my dad was dead, he said that he was in a very dark place and as he wandered around, he started running into very scary people who were deformed and screaming at him. He ran for his life into a corner and hid, and just before the people got to him, he looked up and saw his deceased grandmother reach her hand down and grab him. The next thing his dad remembered, he said, was that he was back in the hospital, but he was convinced that he was temporarily in hell. And he says, I don't know if this was a dream state or something, but he's never seen his dad so convinced in his life. Mm. It was enough to turn his life around and turn to religion and, more importantly, to come back to the family that he'd left behind. So wow. you hear that a lot, don't you, with mm-hmm. this kind of thing. And it makes you think then that maybe they're not making it up because they have totally changed their life as a result of it. Look at that Howard Storm earlier who had that thing where he was taken to what he thought was by the doctors for his surgery and he was attacked and everything. He ended up surviving, obviously, because he was able to tell this story and write a book about it but he actually then turned his life around and totally changed his whole outlook on things because it was only praying to god that that got him out of that situation we got one here by maggie didymus james um when i was 12 i drowned in the gulf of mexico i was out pretty far from my family and the current picked up into a rip i'd always been a very strong swimmer and i knew what to do swim parallel on this occasion i wore myself out and started to sink beneath the water. I remember struggling to breathe. Then I took a big breath of water and everything stopped. The only way I can describe it was by saying I was at zero. It felt like being at zero. I wasn't scared or excited. I was just zero. I was just looking through the water and I blacked out. During that time, my mother was swimming out to me. She'd been a surfer all her life, apparently, and pulled her to the shore and gave her CPR until she coughed up water. There was something eerily comforting, she says, about being at zero. Well, that is interesting because she takes a breath of water. And I've heard that once you do that, you kind of do get calmer. Because, I mean, we I had all, a friend who drowned. We uh, all breathed, or not breathed, but... 
that's what we do in the womb, isn't it? I mean, we're... Yeah, it's different, obviously. I had a friend who drowned, and he said that when he... the Initially, the panic of... You know, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. If I if I breathe in, I'm going to die. If I take this water in, I'm going to die. And then you breathed in, and then the first breath, he said, you cough, and, <laughs> you know. But then the cough is replaced by more water, you know. And then he said, for a second or two, it just feels calm and fine, and then you just black out. So it if you can get over that initial thing, if you know there's no way you're ever going to survive, and you know you're going to die... Just breathe. Just breathe. <laughs> basically, yeah. is what he said. I've got one here by iPokeSmot420. Okay. Uh, these were, incidentally, this thread was like five years ago, so there's there's thousands of them on there. There's loads. He says, when I was eight, I learned how to fix small engines. That being said, my dad had an old flathead Briggs & Stratton five and a half horsepower engine that didn't work. He also had a riding lawnmower that had no engine nor blades. He gave me the task of getting the engine up and running so he could put it on the riding lawnmower and have fun. He says he was so anxious at school the next day. Well, that day I tore apart the motor and had it running by bedtime. The next day we had the thing mounted and riding around. Flash forward a few weeks, me and my older sister were out riding when my shoelace got caught in the back spindle. It pulled me off and was dragging me. My sister stopped and went in reverse, which caused the thing to go over him. The chain and the chain wheel caught my lower back, ripping my skin open and pulling my large and small intestine out. Ew. Severing my right lung, breaking my spine in two places and shredding my, my right kidney. I felt the thing roll onto me, then everything went black. Couldn't see, move, speak or anything. No pain as well. All I remember was the blackness. After my father got my heart beating again, I remember laying there in pain. Also remember feeling my back and short of breath. I felt what I still believe as my stomach in my hand while I was feeling my back. Once I was in the ambulance, everything went black, except this time I saw myself laying there and the medic shocking me. I felt a hard pull and was backing myself. A few minutes later, I was on a table with strangers in white all around me. I remember them in panic, then standing next to my grandmother who passed away when I was three. She told me that she was my nana. We were there watching them jolt my heart with tiny round paddles. She kept telling me it was okay. They called my death time at 6.06. Then all of a sudden I wake up and I'm all fixed and stapled up. My parents told me I'd died three times. The first for five minutes, the second was a little bit more, then 12 minutes. But the last time was astonishing to the doctors. My heart stopped beating for 20 minutes. My parents told them to continue shocking my heart. They told me the doctor kept telling them that I was going to have a 98% chance of being brain dead. I'm 25 years old now and I'm healthy as ever. I'm fully capable of walking as well. Wow. It's interesting though that his parents were able to tell them to keep trying to resuscitate. I've never heard of that before. I mean, usually it's called... Do you know what I mean? Mm. So it's interesting that, you know, were they able to see what was happening to him? Or did they come out and say, sorry, he's gone? And they said, no, go back in there and keep trying. It'd be interesting to know wouldn't yeah. it, how that happened. Well, it's interesting, all the things that we've read and all the experiences that we've been able to talk about today. But there is one thing that anybody who has had a near-death experience can probably agree on. And that is 
They don't care about science and why. Their rational brain, maybe, you know, they think, oh, that can't be, that. if somebody else told me that, I wouldn't believe it. But once they experience it, they know it's true, so they don't really care about what anybody else thinks. You know, yeah. that's their experience. And I can only hope that nothing like that happens to anybody I know for a really long time because there aren't many that come back, are there? No, but like I said, it, I think it is heartening. The majority of the stories that we hear, we do hear the odd one where it looks like they're going downstairs instead. But the majority of the ones that we're hearing are stories of hope, really, aren't they? They're of well, yeah. being, being reunited with your loved ones, uh, of being in a place where there's no pain, you know, there's bright sunshine and all the rest of it. So, And even coming back, if that makes you... A better person. Be, yeah, a better person for yeah. it, then, you know, maybe maybe it isn't such a bad thing. Yeah. Anyway... Do you have any announcements you'd like to make about the upcoming podcast? Well, I have a couple, actually, because we've got some really interesting and exciting things happening. So, podcast coming up. Our next podcast, which, as you know, guys, is in two weeks. We want to do some stories, any of your stories. So, if you've got any stories that are relating to near-death experiences, or if they're relating to ghosts that you might have seen, or encounters that you might have had with anything to do with the paranormal or ufos or if you saw some weird cryptid or something like that let us know but you can let us know now in a different way because we're now going to give you the opportunity to be your own star on our podcast for a couple of minutes and tell your story so what we'll do we've got a skype set up now all you need to do is email us now, this, there's another little bit about the email, which I'll tell you about in a minute. But email us. And we will then set up a time with you over the next two weeks. We will record your story for you over Skype, and you can tell the world about it. Nothing to worry about, nothing to panic about. I don't want anyone worrying, because if you do make a mistake when we're recording it, we'll just stop it. You can say it again. No problems whatsoever, okay? So... Give us a, an email, drop us an email. The email address is weirdwackywonderful at outlook.com. I know in the last episode I said to you that it was now WW Podcast, but unfortunately somebody hacked our email and now Microsoft won't even let us in. So <laughs> we're going back to the original email address. I'm sorry about this. It's weirdwackywonderful at outlook.com. Send us an email. Let us know when we can get in touch with you. We'll Skype you. We will then get it recorded and you can tell the world about it. It'd be absolutely fantastic if you could do that. The second announcement I'd like to make is on from that, we've got another podcast coming up with an interview with a man who I have looked up to for a long time in terms of the paranormal. He used to present his own paranormal TV show and he has done a lot with his life and is one of the best storytellers I've ever heard. He was a Reverend. He was a reverend as well. A I, teacher. He was a teacher. He's even a martial artist, so he has got a special place in my heart. Written many, many, many books. Over 200 with him and his wife. Yeah. It is, of course, the amazing Lionel Fanthorpe. So he will be a guest of ours on, I think it's going to be episode 32. But the best advice I can give you guys out there, other than getting in touch with us, 
is to subscribe to our podcast on whatever it is you listen to it on because that way you're not going to miss any of these future episodes that we've got coming up and we have got a few changes that we're going to put into place which means it's going to be that little bit more interesting and exciting for you if you want to get in touch with us, you know that you can with the email address, as I just said. So that's weirdwackywonderfuloutlook.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can just look us up on there. And please, Facebook. Facebook. Yeah, I don't tend to use Facebook really, but we have got a page. If you send a message to that, I will get informed of it. But the best ways to get in touch are by Twitter, Instagram, or by email. So thank you very much for listening, guys. Really do appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed the show today. And I hope it's given you some comfort in that maybe this isn't, just it. Yeah, and I'm really sorry that my whole thing about Joseph Campbell has ruined stories for everybody, but... I think the takeaway from this is whether you believe in God or you don't, be good to people because you've got your whole afterlife to consider. Oh, you just gave me the warm fuzzies. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. See you guys.